Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And today we'll be talking about Oculus and Insidious. I'm Mitch. I'm Justine. I'm Mer. And I'm Mitch. Oh, God. We gotta redo this. <laughs> we can't do this shit. I, You're Justine. I'm just... Uh, Let's redo it. Just start. Just start with "I'm Justine." We can redo it. Yeah. I'm Justine. I'm Jonathan. I'm Mer. And I'm Mitch. Wait. Wait. Yeah. (laughs) Did we? Ah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do we know who we are? One thing's not like the other. Oh no. Uh, Uh, Hey. Hey, Mitch. Yeah. Real Mitch. Yeah. How's your day going? It's pretty terrible. My cat busted in on me while I was naked today. Ah, shit. It was it was pretty awful. He does this often. Wait, wait, wait. 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 What's your cat's <laughs> yeah, name? Yeah. Oh, my cat's name is Squeaks. Fucking Squeaks. Squeaks. He's a big orange tabby cat. The fattest cat. <laughs> He's so big. He is a big, fat orange cat, and he busts the doors down with his full body in the house. You'll close the door trying to have your privacy, you know, unzip your pants. Open up the computer to your favorite websites, and then boom, boom. <laughs> what is he staring he at? He comes you? in here and he stares. He absolutely stares. There's no Just full eye contact. Full, the yeah, whole full time. eye contact. <laughs> Serious. Like I know what the fuck sins you're doing, son. It, son. It's fucking terrifying. No privacy in my house. My cat does the same thing. He figured out that if he throws his entire body weight. Against the fucking door, it'll open. Jesus. <laughs> just like, knock, knock, motherfucker. <laughs> Literally at 3 a.m., he just fucking busts that door down. Uh, You're like, did someone fucking break in? <laughs> I hope, boom, no one, boom, is sleeping in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He's so petty about that. He'll disturb the cat's sleep just for disturbing his sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. It'll be the middle of the day, and they're napping. I'd be like, it's time to wake the fuck up because <laughs> they're always napping in the middle of the day and up in the middle of the fucking night to ruin my sleep. So I, I was trying really hard to watch um, Insidious last night, and you know, at a certain point, there was a really suspenseful part of the movie, and then all of a sudden, I hear this thud at my door again, <laughs> and in comes the cat. I thought it was part of the movie. I nearly oh, shit my shit. pants. <laughs> nearly shit my pants. You know what? There was no cats in either one of these movies. And you know what? That's it actually was just a dog. That's there actually was just one dog. Did the dog survive? No, it's dog. His name is Dog. He does not survive. Oh, that's no, right. No, yeah, no, that's no. an Oculus. An that's Oculus. An the Oculus. dog's name is Dog. No, she she let the, he let the dog go. It went outside. Yes, I don't that's trust true. Anything in this but movie? But what about the did. other dog? The one in. Uh, the one they had when they were younger. The one that bites the mom. Oh, yeah. That one. That guy got messed up, dude. The dog got disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Like, blinked out of existence. Yeah, for real. That's true. I, I like to believe that the mirror but no consumed pets. it. No pets in the other one. No pets in Insidious. No. No. Mm, no. Thank God. That's, like, probably my biggest fear anytime I go to watch a horror movie and I see a dog. I'm like, oh, please, please let this dog live. The, the sad thing is they'll kill, like, the person of color before they kill the dog. Fuck. <laughs> like, in all horror movies. Just like, yeah, we're going to kill the dog eventually, but here you go. Perspective. <laughs> oh, that's 
so fucking mean. It's true. <laughs> That's true. They really do give a fuck more about these dogs. So much so that I, there's a website. I mentioned it before. It's called Does the Dog Live? Oh, shit. And you can go and look up a movie that has a dog in it and see if it lives. This is ama- This is the only database I need. Fuck IMDb. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh. Fuck, fuck IMDb. Fuck Roger Ebert, whatever the fuck his name is. This is just why I have cats. But yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I just feel like the dog was consumed by the mirror in Oculus, which like... Okay, but like it kind of seemed like the dog knew something was wrong and was like, you need to fucking do something about this mirror. But they were just like ignoring the dog. He even bites the mom at one point because he's like it, upset about it. I think the dog's fucking crazy. But that's the thing. It's it's revolving around this mirror. So good luck having this dog. Be, the the mirror in the office is is quite unsettling. It's <laughs> just like not gonna happen. Um, I feel like if there was cats in this movie, they would have just left the house. They're just not gonna deal true. with it. Well, I mean, in a lot of lore, cats are known to be like guardians of the underworld. So I personally feel like any sort of weird demon thing going on in the house wouldn't even mess with the cat. Be like, oh hey buddy, how's it going? Peace. <laughs> I saw you saw you down in Hades last time. <laughs> Sup, dude? How's it going, G? That right? catnip is fire, though, yeah. isn't it? He was just like, yo, and down to the dispensary today. <laughs> down I, to the Petco. They got the OG catnip push. <laughs> yeah. Because here's, here's the thing. Like, both these movies revolve around ghosts. I feel like if a cat saw a ghost, he'd just be like, uh, he's just a floaty human. That just makes me think of when cats will stare off into the distance or like right behind you and they won't move and it freaks you out. So I'm like, why are you staring like above my head? There's been a few instances here actually where we've been sitting on the couch and Bronson, our cat, he'll start looking at us like really intensely like like we have a toy or something and then he'll just hiss and like get really, really tense and there's nothing there. There's no bug. There's not really anything that would explain that. And I'm like, what's up, buddy? What do you see? Well, let me just, like, go hide under the covers for a bit. Shit. I was going to say, John, he's not looking at the top of your head. He's looking at your throat. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder how often cats think about killing us. I feel that. They just want it. We're only here to open the tuna cans. <laughs> right. Feed them. Give them water. Clean out their shit box. Yep. Oh, shit. Speaking about water, those fucking the plants in this movie... And the fucking water bottles that they have to keep hydrating themselves. Right, that's totally a thing for Oculus. And so I feel like it's a good place to start. We should start with Oculus because there's actually a good amount of stuff to talk about that there, one. There is. This is the whole reason I pick this movie for this week because yeah. I just really like this movie. It's a lot of psychological stuff that's involved with it. And even though she's super prepared, it does get into like some rules that she has to follow with it. Um, so who John is referring to is, uh, Karen Gillan. Uh, her character is, uh, Kaylee Russell. She plays the sister who is basically trying to destroy this mirror that basically destroyed her whole family when she was a child about 11 years ago. And alongside that, she's trying to do it with, uh, her brother, Tim Russell, who's played by Bretton, uh, the weights. So, and the thing is about uh, the psychological thing is like the brother actually was found killing his father on the scene when that night happened and he was put into a mental hospital for 11 years shoots his dad which we come to find out that it was pretty justified (laughs) right yeah really justified the dad straight up murders the mom well in all honesty i think the dad kind of like made him he put his hand on the trigger you know like the dad helped him pull the trigger basically like you're gonna fucking put that gun in my face let me help you son (laughs) (laughs) 
holding it wrong here. You really want to put a man down. <laughs> and, and that's, that's the thing. Like it, um, with this movie, it was directed by Mike Flanagan. He's known for Hush and Doctor Sleep, and Doctor Sleep came out last year. And so he really knows how to get into those weird psychological places within people's heads. Because this movie fucks with you. This movie fucks with you hard. It makes all the people in it an unreliable narrator. You don't know if things are actually happening. And even when she's using her phone to check if something is there, you still kind of don't believe it. Because she gets a phone call at one point, and it's the dude she's staring at who's dead. Yeah, that was the thing I thought was interesting, is it seems that whatever's in this mirror... It's, it's sort of power, I guess, it has over people is to, like, warp their perceptions and, like, get into their minds and make them see things that aren't there. And so she uses her phone to kind of, like, see if something is actually there. But then I was thinking about it. You can't really use that as a proper measurement because, you know, you're seeing your phone screen and you're, it, you're receiving the information through your brain, which the thing, whatever's in the mirror, is messing with. So how can you really rely on what the phone says? Which makes me wonder, did she really kill her friend? And that, that's the thing. I thought it was smart. I thought it was clever. Because she like, she's like, oh, you fucking bastard. Like, she's, like, looking. Like, there's no plate right here. Because she's looking at it through her phone. There's nothing there. Then she, like, accidentally stabs her fiancé. She's like, oh, this is all just fucking fake. Then she looks back, and it's actually her fiancé dead on the floor. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, oh, dude, the one that fucked me up the most, the light bulb, dude. The light bulb apple scene. Oh! Oh, I couldn't watch that. She has to stop and pull a piece out of her tongue because she just bitten into like a large light bulb, but then comes to find out that it didn't actually happen and is instead holding the apple. And that was just, that was a lot <laughs> for that moment because she sets it down next to the light bulb and you know it's going to happen. Yeah, you just, you're very much expecting. The movie does a lot of that, a lot of that sort of foreshadowing in it as well, which is that like a really minor case, but especially like the weighted, the weighted, uh, pulley system swinging hammer thing she has going on uh that is that's like a big foreshadowing moment in there as soon as they show that thing to you, you're like this is going to be used on someone i felt like it was that loaded gun thing that we yeah. talked about mm-hmm. in films where it's like here's your loaded gun someone's going to get killed by this by the end of the film yeah. isn't that the uh there's a there's a rule what's the name of that is that Chekhov's gun i think is what it's called and it's a rule in writing or if you have a gun yes. in a scene it better go off at some point well the yeah. intention was that if you include something like that you're setting a time frame on the story itself and it's anticipating to something that's going to happen as opposed to a story that's sort of directionless you know that something's going to happen and the the rules usually that the gun will go off and so there's there's like 50s 60s films where they'll have a gun like in a drawer and then someone ends up using that later in the film so similar it ends up working that way and that's the thing they had a lot of time to like flesh this out yeah because uh it was based off the short film that he made in 2005 under the same name uh, real quick though, they did have a budget of five million making this movie, and they made forty four in the box office, so it made its money back. Both films were really successful. They made a lot of money back on these. Um, it should also be noted that this is Karen Gillan's first American appearance after her beautiful debut in Doctor Who as Amy. She was definitely my favorite companion. Just saying. And that whole dynamic with Rory, oh yes <laughs> i'm sorry i have to geek out but like the dude literally stayed in a fucking ancient tomb for a thousand years just to like see his girlfriend but it, yeah she yeah. was really good in doctor Who. no yeah this, <laughs> she was easily one of the best companions for that show and you might also know her as nebula 
from uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe from Guardians of the Galaxy. She's really good on that, too. Yeah, yeah although she... she might not be that recognizable because she's completely different color, no hair. Also, like, you know, kind of an alien species. <laughs> yeah. Cyborg thing. So, yeah, Blumhouse, the creators of both of these, like, um, movies, they just had a lot of time in, like, handling the story. That's why it's kind of, like, super fleshed out, super all over the place when you don't realize it. Um, I do have to say that it was a little bit hard to follow at some points when they kept switching back and forth between them being younger and them being older. That's one thing that made me really frustrated while watching the movie as well. It was very frustrating for there not to be as cohesive of a story. Like I get that they're trying to affect, but it it was trying to affect the narrative at that point to the point where I'm like, I don't even know what's actually going on here. There were, which is true because I mean, I guess that, I mean, I guess that reflects what the characters are doing. Yeah. You you know, their, you get into their perception of the whole situation. There was that whole ass scene where like uh, Karen Gillan's character is walking through the hall and she turns around and it's like the little kid, but it's actually like her older brother like now. And she's like, oh, thank God you're here. And then we're looking from his perspective and it's her as a little kid too. I was just like, holy shit. What I felt like this was is someone trying to an extend this short story. Like, he had the general idea of the mirror, and it probably worked really well for the short film. But as he tried to get into a feature-length film, he had to add in stuff. And I think this element of younger versions of them and the older versions in the same house kind of got tied in. But it did make it a little difficult to follow because it would switch what they looked like in that moment in the house and then switch back. It wasn't like they were doing flashbacks. They were showing, like, a younger version in, like, a couple seconds and then an older version in the next. And so that was probably one of the weaker points of the film, to, to be honest. I like uh, Karen Gillan's character as she comes out from, like, the woodwork. Just like, you know what fucked us up 11 years ago. And now I have it because she's, like, it's post-auction. She has it as she's moving it to the house that it's supposed to go. Takes it to the original house and has an elaborate setup to make sure to catch whatever supernatural shit is going on. She could capture it on film and prove, like, her brother's innocence. I mean, to she had prove her father's innocence as well. Yeah. Yeah. She was hoping to clear both their names. Uh, and you get most of the information from the mirror from like an information dump, like in the middle, or maybe like towards the beginning of the film when she shows you all these things. And I got kind of annoyed watching it. I was like, I don't really care about most of these things. And it was just so much info right up front. And I think that was just so they didn't have to do it later or they didn't have to do it like throughout the script. Well, that's the thing. It, it comes back to it subtly. Like, people die from miscarriage. You see a girl, a ghost with a miscarriage blood all over her dress. People die from di- dehydration. That's why they have buckets of water. They have All the plants are dead within the house. That's why she has a bunch of ha- house plants all over. Then the radius goes out, so she's prepared. She has, like, light bulbs. She has lanterns. She has everything that she needs. She has the dog because it does mention that the dog either goes missing or goes crazy within the first couple hours of, like, the infection, quote-unquote. So the thing is, she has all these narratives and the timers. The timers are super important, too, because without those timers, she will not remember to feed herself. She'll not remember to give herself water, check on plants and the area of effect. So, like, it's all precisely made so she could catch this thing on camera. And that I think the best scene in this movie is when they're talking and then uh, they, they go back into the room. The cameras are facing each other. All the plants are dead everything's fucked up and they look back on the play the play uh the playback and they see that it's them actually moving 
having the conversations yeah. they had in the hallway. They don't even remember it. They ask each other, too, do you remember doing that? And they really don't because the mirror is fucking with them because they're so close to it. The mirror protects itself as well. Uh, as seen as when they were little kids trying to hit it with golf clubs, they were just banging into the wall. Yeah, the only reason it gets a crack in the bottom is because uh, the dad helps the son shoot him, basically, and then he falls onto the mirror accidentally, and it cracks at the bottom. That was another interesting thing I noticed about the mirror is that, you know, you could really directly attack the mirror, but there were a few special occasions where someone actually was able to make contact with the mirror. And she was discussing this earlier when she was going through the history of the mirror and its victims. There's one man that was able to strike the mirror, and then I guess he was possessed by the mirror and walked out into traffic. And then the same thing happened with the mother. She threw something. I don't think she was intending to hit the mirror, but it happened to hit the mirror. And then she was possessed by whatever was in the mirror and slowly went crazy, crazier and crazier than she was before, you know? I watched this movie with my mom, and we were both like, holy fucking shit, like, get these kids out of here. Yeah, right. And uh, we were also, she was also, like, making note, like, why isn't, why aren't they calling police? Why aren't they calling anyone? They call the doctor. The kids actually get a phone book and call the doctor. And the guy comes in, he's like, hey, you, you down for eight rounds? Like, tomorrow? Yeah, I got you. Like, okay, I'll see you later. As his entire hand is, like, completely covered in the mother's blood. And the mother get goes through some abuse in this movie, honestly. So that can go directly into some of the first questions I had for the film, which which is people have made a lot of commentary about the fact that the relationship between the mother and the father didn't really seem very good, even before, like, some bad stuff started happening. And then as soon as it does start happening, he almost gaslights her at some point where he's just like, what? No, like, you're overreacting. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, nothing's happening. And he's very possessive of his office. Like, he doesn't want anyone to go in there. Some people are arguing that it is the mirror that's influencing him. But really, we don't know how long they have to be around the mirror for something like that to happen. So they almost made it into a statement about what might happen, like family, like dysfunctional things that might happen if you're like maybe cheating on someone. One of the first things that happens is the kids think they see someone in the room with them. Hey, Dad, who was that woman in your room? Fuck. (laughs) Don't tell Mom. The spirit of the mirror is often um, seen as a female most of the time. Actually, I think pretty exclusively, it always appears that way. It's like a like a woman in a dress, basically. That's true, like but a with a very dress. deep, manly voice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, that's that's just something that something that I noticed. But with this movie in uh, in particular, or especially when we go to the mirror and the father's attachment to it, there might be something that the mirror is giving him, something along those lines. Because at first, it seems like a pretty like fine it doesn't seem like a bad relationship when they first move into the house before the mirror is in there because they're he's setting up his office he gets his like one little room and then she gets her one room and all that stuff and then there's like a thing where they're in the room together and she's like my my c-section scar is making me upset and he's just like let me see that and then he just like dives on in to v-town you know <laughs> and, and, I, and i was just like what a way to deal with someone else's insecurity especially your wife's insecurity she's like i feel gross and you're like let me take a look at your grossness Boo! dive on in there you go she will not be thinking about how gross she looks anymore not that she does uh, it actually ends up being pretty terrifying too later in the film when she looks at it and it looks like it's opened up oh and yeah it's bleeding and she's crazy. like digging into it yeah <laughs> it is yeah oof I, yep. I think what really like gets a lot of people is like, so there was a woman in dad's office, right? And she's like halfway crying 
And then she's like, when was the last time she was in the office today or like yesterday or whatever. And like that really, really hits you home. Cause the thing is like the son believes that there was an affair. There were like the notes for, or what is it? All the information for an affair was there. And that's the thing. I feel like the brother was trying to suppress all of this while he was inside the mental institution, which is what the sister comes back to. She's like, they really fucked you up in there. Didn't they? They really made you believe that all of this was like not the mirror when it really absolutely is. This guy's straight out of the loony bin, like just trying to get back on his life. Two days fresh out has a whole outlook on this. Like, Oh, you know, people put, you know, they put fucking two and two together. And then that's why they think that's, that happens. But with what we know about the mirror and its ability to affect perception, how do we know that the notes about the infidelity are even there in per, in particular? How do we know the mirror didn't affect her mind for her to see what she wanted to in order to make her flip out like that? Yeah, it could be something to turn everyone against each other so that the mirror could protect itself. This makes a lot of sense. Or just turn the people... It's a very malicious intent object, too. It very much wants people... It wants chaos. It wants turmoil. It wants to turn people against each other. As far as I saw, it, like, will take souls and, like, they get stuck in it. It's like the the sister gets stuck there. Yeah, when she comes to her demise uh, by accidentally, you know, standing in front of it with the axe that finally comes down, the loaded gun. But we look back on the video and it's the brother who actually yeah, he uses sets the it timer. Yeah, he but here's the thing. The mirror obviously got destroyed, or at least it got heavily cracked. But she still appeared at the end when he was leaving. So does, like, what, do you have to, like, completely destroy it? Or, like, what's going to happen now that it has a huge crack in it? I didn't see a crack. When, I believe her skull took all of it. Oh, really? It just, like, softened the blow? I didn't yeah. even think about that. Yep. Oh, shit. Did it fucking put her? Uh, yep. I, didn't, I didn't realize until just now that it put her in front of it because it knew it was going to come down. That's yep. fucked. I didn't even think about that when I first saw it. Holy shit. Yeah. That's the thing. She took the whole blow for it, and you see her and her fiancé dead as, like, ghosts in the window with the whole family. And I I think the ending of this movie really fucks you up because it cuts back to the flashback when the father kills him or gets it killed by his son, the son being taken by the police, and now 11 years later, the same thing is happening in the same exact house. And it's on video, so good luck trying to argue against that. So, this movie deals obviously very directly with post-traumatic stress. In their case, it's the trauma from seeing their father kill their mother when they're younger. And it also shows how they both deal with it, like how they cope with it. What do you guys think about that? Obviously, the brother went to uh, treatment and was able to like help himself out. But the sister never got, she never talked to anybody. She just was fully engrossed in what had happened there. So, do you think there was more commentary there or do they use it for the narrative it's the obsessive behavior versus the passive behavior uh that character just really wanted to prove something and was determined to prove something while the other one is like just trying to pass it over and just work on self i think it shows like definitely two ways of like dealing with someone or something is that one you could embody the emotions fully and then find ways to work through that or you could logic the emotions away which i feel like that was what the sister's purpose here was is she was trying to understand the situation so it didn't bother her as much anymore versus how her brother had a very different experience and he you know was sort of consumed by these feelings he was having and had to go through these other methods to basically explain that what he saw wasn't real versus trying to explain 
how what he saw was real. Well, the, the brother argues that the sister is sort of legitimizing whatever she had seen by going through all of the pieces of history related to the mirror, as in she was filling in blanks on purpose to make what she was saying not sound so crazy. And he even claims that it's like part of like the like the fuzzy memory theory, which is a real thing in, in psychology where you take bits and pieces from something and then make the connection between them to sort of legitimize whatever you're thinking and go forward with an idea. And that's what he tells her. He's like, you're just pulling all these random pieces together to make this seem real. And that is like the, the what he had been told while he was being you know treated that like he was just piecing things together he didn't have like the full story but obviously we know that the mirror is definitely what affected both of them but in this case they're arguing against each other because they handled it differently i was also just reminded of like how crazy it is to see a mom chained up it gave me like reminders of color out of space <laughs> when they're like go feed your mother and like you God, that was so fucked <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i loved that part of that movie but yeah, no, it's definitely, like, more, uh, I guess, sadistic in this one, for sure. She's, like, missing all her teeth and stuff and, like, comes running at them like a wild animal, basically. It doesn't even seem like a person anymore. So, in regards to the mirror itself, do you feel like it was a good device to use for horror? Was it actually, like, something that was worthwhile to put into the story and, like, run the narrative? I found the idea of an interest of a mirror really interesting because you know, I I like to watch ghost videos like ghost hunting videos and shit like that. And there seems to be like this sort of common thing around haunted items is they're usually either a mirror or a box. And so I feel like I hadn't really seen the mirror as a haunted object used too often in movies, at least lately. And so it was nice to see that brought up, considering like the weird thing about mirrors is, in a sense, they're sort of like alternate dimensions. And so what the lore goes is that these mirror dimensions people will use them to trap demons in which i assume is what oculus was however this demon was exceptionally powerful and that was also my question is i feel like it preyed on people in order to gain more strength and i feel like it got strength from the misfortune it was able to cause because that's usually how demons go uh so that was really interesting to see in this movie there's also the idea that mirrors um like if you have them in your home some people will want to like cover them up because they feel like it could actually be a connection to something and or uh, something can come through it into like your home. So it's not uncommon to go into some places and see like something draping over the mirror because they don't want to have it revealed all of the time. So that did tap into some of that lore. In addition to the, the mirror itself, there was no like set lore behind the mirror. The director said that it was meant to be mysterious and it was meant to be HP Lovecraft related where if they knew about it, it would drive them crazy, which is pretty much what it did. And so he kind of got that idea from there. What other horror movies do you know where the antagonist is a mirror? I don't. Enough said. Yeah, it's unique enough. It's yeah. definitely original. I haven't. I can't think of anything else that relates to mirrors like that. It, it just fucked me up the first time I watched it, for real. Haunted items have been a thing for storytelling for, like, for centuries. But it's really hard to pin down, like, specific ones because they're not, they're not stories that are told that often, like, as Justine was saying. So it was definitely interesting to have. I liked the, I liked the mirror being the villain in this movie. Um, I think that was a good, it was a good choice uh, for a thing. I also really like her info dump 
earlier as well. I thought that was really good because it shows she's researched. It shows she's fucking on her shit. You she's know, prepared. She, yeah, it, it like that was it was a display of like reinforcing that idea. Like it really makes her like a really important character to the movie, which is why like her demise upset me so much at the end of the movie as well. Which made me honestly kind of really kind of dislike the movie afterwards as well because I was just oh, kind of like wanted her to survive it. Yeah, yeah, I was just kind of like, and I was, but I, I mean, and it's just that, but I just didn't think it was, I don't know. I'll talk about it when we give our ratings, but I'm not really going to discuss that right now. But yeah, I liked the mirror, the mirror concept. There's a lot of stuff I liked in both of the movies we'll talk about tonight. And there's a lot of things I don't like about them, but that's about, that's it. Um, One of the things I noticed too was that the mirror sort of had a radius like around it that it had its influence on. And so it's like, I do wonder what its intention was. Like we had mentioned earlier, was it just gathering souls? Was it getting like, was a demon inside of it? Like feeding on the sadistic things that would happen because of it? Like, why does it want to keep itself intact? Isn't the worst answer to that question just because? Yeah, exactly. No motive at all is sometimes really effective. The definition of Oculus is a round or eye like opening or design. So like you said, it's kind of, it could be just a portal of things that it wants to create hell because it, that's all it knows. That's all it does. That's all it will ever do. <laughs> it is chaotic evil. <laughs> that's its alignment. <laughs> <laughs> I was upset that the girl dies and that the brother gets hauled off again. <laughs> I just didn't, I just didn't like it for an ending for this movie because it's like, you're going to throw me into this whole like mind fuck scenario. And then you're going to, I don't know. I felt it was kind of anticlimactic at the end. I was kind of like, Oh, that's it. We're just right back to where we started. Yeah. Again. I thought it was going to fuck with them a little more where yeah. it was like, it made it look like someone died and they didn't actually die. Yeah. That would have been way cooler again. That would have been cooler. But I think kind of like what they were going for here is showing that it's not really something that you can approach in like a reasonable fashion because mm-hmm. it is something supernatural, you know, and they kind of, the, the sister in particular approached it as like a formula. She mm-hmm. like had her set schedule. She had all this, this and that. And I feel like in a way the ending was sort of saying that no matter how hard you try to understand it, you won't and it will overcome you in the end. Someone else's read of this too, which is really interesting, was that the whole film was just an illusion for mental illness. Yeah, that's what I thought too after reading after watching yeah. it as well. Very much so that, you know, nobody believes you. Yep. Nobody exactly. listens to you. And even then, like the pot calling the kettle black happens yeah, in this exactly. one as well, where the brother's like, You're fucking insane and crazy. You have no after idea. After he just got yeah, out. After you just get out of the fucking loony bin, bro. Like <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, they were saying that it was kind of that feeling. You don't really get rid of it. That yeah, uh, you always are gonna have something that happens that kind of brings you back into what you're feeling. And in this case, uh, no one believed what was happening, and so they hauled him off again, and he's gonna get sent back to the institution again. Yeah. And so that was one of the main things I had seen for a read for this movie. But um, so would you guys? Did you guys like it overall, or would you like tell people to go watch it? You think it was kind of not a satisfactory movie? It's worth a watch. It's definitely worth a watch. I just I just felt frustrated and confused sometimes, and that just wasn't like I guess that's representative of the character's feeling, and they're trying to tra- like like transmit that to you, which it does very effectively. But it wasn't. I don't know if I'm gonna go watch this movie again though after my first viewing. Yeah, definitely. I think that this is a really interesting and unique story, but not like you said, not enough that I would want to watch it again after I hear the story once. That's cool. But I definitely recommend going and getting that story. Mm-hmm. I watched this movie 
every five or six years. So I feel like that time shift from that makes me enjoy it. I would not be watching it a lot, though. <laughs> Wait, did everyone watch it with someone or alone? I watched it with my mom. I was Maddie was here, but not really watching it with me. <laughs> so it was just kind of me watching it. So I don't know, half alone. Uh, I think Justine and I watched it together, right? Yeah, Semi watched it. <laughs> uh-huh. It should be noted that it is on Hulu right now. Oh, right, really? Right, right now. I did not so know that. When Hulu updates, don't fucking at me. Oh, right. oh yeah, don't fucking at me. That's pretty funny. Uh, then I think this is a good time to move into Insidious. So what's, wait, what's that? Insidious? Oh, why? Thank you, John. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to be slick over there I was with so your phone. Unprepared. Wow. So. Let me get you the definition, John, since you asked so nicely. Insidious is proceeding in a gradual, subtle way with harmful effects. Not like what I did. <laughs> that was very subtle. I'm going to leave it just like that. I'm not cutting any good, of this. <laughs> that was the point. But I put that in there. I put that into the little outline because I felt like that was important. The movie actually does progress that way. That is one thing I never considered, though, was uh, was the title of the movie literally like acting at how the pace of the film would be. Um, I mean, granted, the pacing turns to shit in the second half, but that's that's a whole nother thing we'll get into later. I think the film was really good to start with. It gets really funny and like kind of quirky at some point, like poltergeist style, and then just falls flat right at the end. That's what I felt about it. <laughs> Initially, I think this movie starts off spooky. Yeah. It's a good start. Yeah. And then, you know, dwells into something. Uh, I thought the first time I saw it, like, the ending was pretty good. But then coming back to it a second time, I was like, eh. Yeah, I feel like I had the same experience. Actually, no, the first time I watched it, it was pretty scary all the way through. But that was only because... I went to go see it in theaters, and this is a little bit after the movie had came out, and it was the middle of the day, so there was nobody in the theater. I was with my friend. I think there was, like, an old man and his caregiver in the front row, but they, like, left halfway through the movie. It was creepy. Being in a huge open space, dark, no one's there, I was half expecting to see someone just show up in one of the seats down below. And, like, the theme, the theme song with 33 violinists on the track playing the same note. Over and over again. <laughs> so it was actually just a quartet, but it was really fucking annoying. <laughs> 33 violinists is not a quartet. That is a band, motherfucker. No, you know what? That's not a band. That's fucking Slipknot times three, all right? Fuck. Yeah. How many Slipknots is your band, dude? <laughs> How many Slipknots? Yeah, I, I Slipknot squared. Thank you. Like, like, that should be a new fucking measurement for fucking how big's your band. We're going we're gonna to use that from now on. How, how many Slipknots are in your fucking band? So this is a whole Slipknot's worth of uh, at least that. This is half a Slipknot. And these are three of, Slipknot's uh, worth of fucking violin. Okay, but you know what's funny? The guy who did the music for the film was actually the guy who played the demon. No. Yes. That's what? super cool. I did not know that. That's super cool. Yeah, he, he did the music and then got dressed up to be the demon and was just enjoying all I, of it. I really liked the design for the demon in this movie, uh, especially. I really I really like it. I like a lot of the shots, too, where he's like high, like behind someone or something along those lines. Like Those shots are really nice. Um, 
I hate jump scares. I fucking hate jump scares. Uh, They're like the worst fucking things in these movies ever. Is it because they get you or because you just don't like jump scares? I honestly just don't like... I honestly think that the scene would be creepier without the... (laughs) That. Without that. You don't fucking need that. You could have someone walk into the scene unexpectedly. It would have the same goddamn effect. It would still be creepy as fuck. Even if it was quiet, it would be even more creepy. Okay, but you kind of just got me. But (laughs) yeah, like I I, 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 was saying, we're shaking a little bit. (laughs) Okay, so Mitch, don't watch it, Chapter Two. There you go, buddy. God damn it! Yeah, for real. And I want to watch it, Chapter Two. Though that's the worst part. I do, but it doesn't. It's just it's a pet peeve of mine, and that's and that's why I've liked a lot of the more like more modern horror movies, like your A two fours and whatnot, because they don't really rely on that type of that type of scare. They rely on atmosphere and whatnot to creep you the fuck out. We were instead. in we were in a fucking drought of horror movies for a long time in the early twenty tens. It was just saturation of jump scares and just shit. And then like after what twenty eleven, that's when they're like. Hey, you know, we could actually put some thought-provoking shit in horror movies. Well, it's still it's still indie films. Like, there isn't, like, too many mainstream films that are that good. R- right. They're all, like, it's at this point, it's just A24. But, like, <laughs> I don't really know if anyone else like, is think, releasing Think of stuff. something like The Purge. Like, oh, God. That's not a, it's not a good movie by any means. I, still, I, I would argue that that movie is not a horror movie. I, I would on, honestly, yeah. Well, it depends. I would, say, I would say it's more along the lines of, like, an action movie, but also like a thriller, like dystopian. I yeah. feel like it's horror in the way that Black Mirror is horror. Like it's kind of oh, okay. like psychological thrill- thriller with a little violence and gore. You know, also very dystopian. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like that's just. I feel yeah. like that's just kind of the genre those things right. are under. It's like you, know, you, an attempt at making society better goes wrong. Now, and how does it cause it to crumble? Here's my question for you, Mitch. Since you hated the jump scares in this movie, would you have rather seen a lot of gore? No, I honestly think that a lot of the times when there's someone just walking outside the window, and I don't think that the – it's really just on the sound person's part, nothing to do with the scenes at all. It's really just the sound itself. Because the thing is, James Wan, the director of this movie, was trying to make a movie that was more serious than everything he's worked on previously. Because he worked on Saw with Lee Winnell, who also stars and wrote the movie. But the thing is, a lot of people did not want to work with James Wan because of how gory and over-the-top dumb Saw was. So he was trying to make something that would captivate audiences in a different type of horror. So that makes it that makes this film kind of a reaction to what people felt about his first film, and I kind of felt like you could sense that when you watched it. Like, he only made it to make a point. Like, and hey, I could do that, motherfucker. Yeah, like, PG-13, no blood, I can still scare people, and that's what he did with that. But I think he made the mistake of showing the monster in the end. Because most of what makes people scared when they're watching this thing is when your brain fills in what's there. Like, you get glimpses of it, and it's really effective right at the beginning. I, I mean, how many scenes in this movie do they open a fucking door to find nothing behind it? A lot. And then the one time there's something behind it is at the end of the fucking movie. Like, like literally, like, yeah, they, they open doors, and there's nothing there, like, every other fucking scene. And then, like, at the very, like, near the end of the movie, the kid opens up the door, and out comes Mr. Redface Demon. Like, all of a sudden. Like, oh, that's right. And then, like, yeah. crawls on the wall and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, Which is great. I love that stuff. It's fine. Like, but it's just kind of, like, all the doors opening and stuff. Like, dude, you're just, like, this is just, it's just cheese ball to me. Like, cheese ball scariness, basically. Like, oh, oh what's behind? There's nothing there. Just always nothing there all the time. 
That was definitely something I felt watching this movie, which is interesting that he wanted to be taken, you know, more seriously on this yeah. production. Because I personally felt that there are a lot of parts that are just kind of campy and very like, haha. You yeah. know, it felt like I was watching, I, I like an old silent film. You know, if if you could imagine, like I don't know, Nosferatu you, or something. You, like you know that. what the last scene in like the devil, like the little demons workshop is? It reminds me of fucking Krampus. I was it's thinking like, that. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like that. Like it's goofy almost. Like you know what I mean? And so I mean, I guess you're in like a different world at that point. But that's what that's what like kind of ruined it for me. Like, so have you seen the Babadook? Yes. So you you don't really see him through no. the whole film, you get like an idea of what he's like. And that makes it really effective all the way through. Like you get to the end and you still don't really know what he looks like. You get an idea because of the drawings, but it's just a kid's drawing. Like you don't have anything like serious. And so your brain fills in the rest. Like what could it possibly look like? And, and they did that in the beginning of yeah, this movie. With the, the beginning drawings. was really good. Cause you get to see the drawings of the red face and the black body and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I think they just ruined it. Like even if they had shown just the glimpse of the face, it would have been really good. Like There's that time where they take the picture and you see the kid and the demon like half face right behind him. It's so effective because you can't see all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I remember that actually when I watched this movie for the first time is I was like terrified up until the point that I actually was able to see the demon, like see his whole body, see what he looked like, see what he's doing. As soon as I was able to see him, I was like, eh, not that scary. Yeah. That's because he's grinding his nails on a wheel stone in his weird Santa's Listening workshop. Listening to fucking a tiptoe through the tulips. <laughs> tiptoe. <laughs> but here's the thing though this movie did really fucking well in the box office it's ridiculous how much money this made it was 1.5 million for the budget 99.5 million in the box office a lot of people 99 yeah what the fuck (laughs) but the thing is it was canned like a lot of people didn't like it because of that ending well it it's. I think the reason why it made a lot of money is because it had really good advertising. So when you got like a view of it, like the previews, really good. You don't know what the monster is going to look like, but then you go and watch the movie, and it's a flop at the end, and you can't get your money back after that. So it's like that's why they made a bunch of money. People were interested. They had enough people interested to go watch it, and then when they watched, they're like, eh. But it made so much money that they made so many movies after it. It's the same with fucking 98 Godzilla. The marketing for that movie was fucking spot on perfect. Like – his foot is two sizes or the size of two of these buses. And they're doing all this secret fucking crazy ass propaganda for it. Everyone goes, sees the movie and fucking hates it. And you know who makes the money? Fucking Warner brothers, bro. (laughs) And that's why they kept making shit. So this is why this movie has one sequel and two prequels. Yeah. And I honestly, I I have no real fucking motive to watch the rest of them. Maybe the second one, maybe, maybe didn't, Lee Winnell direct one of these, one of the sequels. He directed the third one. Lee Winnell is awesome. Yeah, I, go watch that one. <laughs> I just found out that Lee Winnell is my favorite horror dude crush now because of <laughs> how cool he is. Wait, he's in this movie too, right? Yeah, he plays Specs, the one of the ghost the guys. The guy who's writing it down. The guy, yeah, the guy who's writing it down okay. with the glasses. He's cute. I have to say, I really like that part. I like them yo, coming yo, in. Yo, yo, the grandma, the grandma's mask. Hell yes, the big like gas mask thing she's got on. As I was she into that. Into like the little headphones he's got on. That yeah. was a, that was 
purely for dramatic effect, and I think it worked. Yeah, it was I think great. It was something that it was, was cool. great. I think that was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. I feel like mm-hmm. that's when it really started to like gain speed. Oh, yeah. yeah, once once she once I think it's Elise. Once oh, Elise yeah. shows up, she, it, that's when shit starts ramping up and gets way more interesting. Can I just throw this out there? Elise looks like Hillary Clinton. Just saying. What? I think it's that haircut. <laughs> I thought she looked kind of like Aunt May from like the the, the Sam Raimi Spider Man uh, movies. Yeah. That's what. Yeah. She that's what. That's what makes me think a of. Cross but, between the two. Yeah, yeah, across. Yeah, it's a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> her her name is Lynn Shea. She plays Elise Rayner. Um, Patrick Wilson as Josh Lambert. But really, we got to talk about Barbara Hershey coming as another suppressed mother who won't tell their kids what the fuck is wrong with them. Literally, that's her in every movie that, that she's been in the last like, Black 10 Swan. years. That was her in Black Swan. Oh, oh that's <laughs> what she was in. Shit. We were trying to figure that out for the whole time. Like, what else is she in? <laughs> That's so funny. Literally typecast as an awful mother. <laughs> just like, like, I am bad mom. That's it. See, I always wonder about people that get typecasted like that. Like, what are you like in real life? And how does that affect your relationships? It's like, hey, I saw you as that bad mom in, like, you know, all those movies. So, uh, you know, what's, what, what's, what's up here? What, what was that fucking movie? Well, that, here's the thing. What's that dude's name uh, who was in fucking The Big Lebowski? The big dude. The big, you John know. John Goodman. Jeff Bridges? John, John Goodman. Oh. You think John Goodman's a really fucking great actor. He's in so many fucking movies. Then you see him in 12 Cloverfield Lane. And you're like, God, I don't want anything to do with you, John Goodman. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I just remember. What was wrong with 12 Cloverfield Lane? Do you, do you not remember how creepy and crazy fucking John Goodman was in that oh, movie? Oh, okay. That's the point you're making. That what I'm he saying was, is like you. Yeah, you thought John he Goodman, was typecasted. John you Goodman. I was. love you in this movie. I love you in that movie. Big about You're fucking. Because oh. he's terrifying in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, legit, I, I am you. legit scary in that movie. All right. All right, I thought you were saying bad shit. I was like, Wilmer, because <laughs> like, he was really good in that movie. <laughs> yeah, he's really fucking good in that movie. He's too good because I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> so I felt like some of the acting in the movie was pretty bad, like just straight up bad. And I think it definitely had to do with some production stuff. So they said it only took three weeks to film this entire oh movie with little to no rehearsal. And it was because of their budget. They didn't have enough time, really, to do that. So I think that kind of showed through. But except for maybe some of the actors that were, like, they knew how to do that. Like, like uh, the main, like the dad. He's good, like, throughout the whole movie because he's been in a bunch of stuff. He didn't really need that much prep. But, like, the kid's terrible. I don't know so much about his wife. Like, they're all kind of bad. Even the dudes in the, like, that come in with the... Hey, you leave the kid from Iron Man 3 alone, all right? Wait, what? Yeah, that's him. What kid? The kid that gets possessed, Dalton. That's the guy. No, no, no. Which kid? Which kid in Iron Man three? He's the kid in Iron Man three. I don't remember. The one who gets the mask, right? He's the kid that's hanging out with Tony Stark. Him. him. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I didn't even know that. But like, how much older? (laughs) Iron Man three came out in what twenty thirteen? So like a couple years later. But yeah, you leave him alone. Fucking trash, yeah, Tony, <laughs> Fucking Tony Stark's gonna come through, dude. Whoa. Child star, you're supposed to be good already. What the fuck? Hey, he was in fucking Avengers Endgame, just staring at the funeral. That was about it. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. He showed up again after he did. After he's fucking dead. Hey, son, we, we need to pay you a lot of money just to stand at this funeral. Got it. Fuck, it's a good movie role. You get paid to stand in the scene, like, fuck yeah. worth the money. But yeah, I felt like some of the acting was just, it was pretty bad. And oh, that's what, I think that's really made, what made me mad about this movie is that it had so many great elements in it. And the in-between stuff was just awful. 
and it like was going in a bunch of different directions and it did really well to start like it was a spooky movie that was using the atmosphere the home invasion to scare shit. you yeah it get, it scares you it like you get into this idea that someone could break into your home and anyone's scared about that well we had a good re- or justine had a good read on that with the home invasion because what happens is they see the door open and the alarm is going off so he goes down there with a bat locks it up puts the alarm on goes back upstairs Again, it happens, and again, it happens. The door wide fucking open, alarm going off, and that shit was terrifying. My mom had to, like, stop the movie. She literally paused the movie and says, I need you to go check all the fucking Ah. doors in my house. So in a lot of cases with ghosts in particular, when a ghost enters into the physical realm, they'll usually enter through a door as, like, a symbolic portal. But in most cases, they will physically actually open a door in the room. And so, well, my read on it is that was basically, like, all the ghosts kind of, like, coming to him. Because, you know, this is when the kid is still conscious. Still consciously astral astral projecting. And, uh, you know, there's, there's this door opening. And then the next day, I think that's when he hits the coma after all those ghosts have now entered the building. Kind of crazy. Uh, um... There's this one scene, though, I, I really enjoyed was uh, uh, later on when the father actually enters the astral realm to go look for his son. Um, it's interesting because I remember uh, if anyone's familiar with the term astral projecting, it's basically when you uh, leave your your physical body. Yeah, your spiritual body will leave your physical body, but you'll still be conscious in your spiritual body. So it's almost like dreaming, except you're actually in like a physical well, mental plane, basically. Uh, but I remember in this in this take that the astral realm was sort of like this blue-toned, misty place. And I actually remember years ago, I, I believe I accidentally astral projected. And it looked actually a lot similar to how it did in the movie. Um, I was in the house that I was in, except everything had like a violet hue to it. And it was all misty. And there were spirits around, but they weren't like humanoid figures like they were in the movie. Instead, they're sort of more like spirited away, Hayao Miyazaki kind of figures but it was really interesting to see that into the movie and i was like huh wait a second that's kind of familiar i've never actually astral projected before. oh i have how was that very actually it was interesting because i i took a lot of edibles uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay wait are you sure that you astral projected well let's see so, so you had a kickstart <laughs> with with a with an edible and you felt relaxed enough so you were like all right i was in a position where i was laying down in my room and my friend sawyer was there and we were playing rocket league really funny um rocket league so <laughs> i close my eyes and then i see myself from the top down perspective i'm like sawyer i could i'm i'm looking at us right now and he's like really what am i doing He's waving his left arm. I'm like, you're waving your left arm. He's like, dude, your eyes are completely fucking closed and you're like looking up at the ceiling. How are you doing this? And I was like, oh shit. I, I don't know. I think I'm astral projecting or something. I'm like really fucking high right now. And like, I don't, I can't even, I couldn't even say that much because my mouth is so fucking dry, but I was Ah. trying to, trying to basically convey Ah. that. And he's like, what am I doing now? I'm like, okay, you're playing rocket league now. And he's like, what the fuck, dude? You could see exactly what I'm doing. It was weird. It was very weird. I was very high that day. Drugs, craziness. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think I was on any drugs at the time, but uh, that's totally dope. That's I was really also able to actually. astral project when I was a child. Yeah, I've actually heard a lot of instances of children in particular being more spiritually sensitive. Uh, 
like seeing things in particular but a lot of cases of children just accidentally slipping into astral projection like hey mommy i saw you the other day but you weren't i I wasn't there i was kind of there but not there (laughs) yeah it's kind of crazy because the thing is like it's the same thing um like kids are just more sensitive to it like when you close your eyes and you you see colors like yeah, you see, yeah. mo- you see more colors. I still as a see kid. that. <laughs> you see more colors and you see more images when you're a kid rather than when you're an adult because your front cortex is more developed. This made me think of something weird that used to happen when I was a kid. Um, so when I was going to sleep, I would usually go to sleep like in a completely dark room. I was convinced as a kid that that was the only way I could go to sleep. Uh, and ironically, I got older and needed a nightlight. So <laughs> I was like, when I was younger and I would only sleep in the dark. Uh, I would see like a color come from the ground and then go all the way up to the ceiling. And it kept doing that like in a wave. That's and it kept doing that over and over again. And it was always like a light greenish color. Wow. And I don't know what the fuck it was. That's insane. That's really interesting. I I feel like light green is actually one of the colors I see when I close my eyes. There's like specific colors I'll see. There's like a a uh, sky blue, a light green, and like this orangey red color that are like general hues that I'll see. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I know the I know the orangey one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the thing is, with like in the movie, uh, the character Josh, he has to like lay down and be in a relaxed position, has to breathe cert- a certain way. Uh, when I was a kid, I would often like fill the tub, and that's the thing. Water helps a lot with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a known to be conductive of spiritual energy. So, like, that's the thing. They have these, uh, what is it? They have these special tanks that allow you to, sensory deprivation tanks. Yeah, those are cool. (laughs) Yeah, so they have these at, like, spa retreatments across the world. But you stay in there, sometimes in really, really ice-cold water. And uh, basically, you're closed into a pod, and you start hallucinating once you're inside there. This is what happened to me when I was a kid in the tub. Uh, sometimes I would just like lay down, I would basically be in this like dream state, but I'd be out of my body. And oftentimes I would sometimes turn over and I didn't need to breathe. I would not need to breathe because I was in such a relaxed state that I didn't need air. So oftentimes my parents would find me and they're like, is my son fucking dead? And I, I'd come to and come into my body being like, why are you touching me? Like what's going on? I'm not dead. So, like, your heart rate and everything slowed down? Yes, I was able to do that as a child. That's pretty intense, actually. I've heard of that being achieved through, like, years of intense meditation. Yeah, I did that when I was, like, four. (laughs) (laughs) Little avatar over here. I love it. It's like, yeah, I was four years old. Those deprivation tanks are actually pretty legit. But you do have to mentally prepare yourself before you go into it. If you're having a bad day or having any sort of like nightmares and things like that, probably not the best thing for you to do. But if you feel like you need some relaxation and you'd be able to calm your mind, get into the one that's warmer because it'll it'll raise it to your body temperature. And then you don't really know where like your limbs start and end. It's kind of interesting feeling. Right. And that's the thing with uh, Elisa's character. She's coming into like this house and like telling him you need to astral project. This is exactly what we did for you when you were a little kid. They're like, he's like, what? So basically the mother suppressed these memories, never took his photo because the lady in these photos is basically following him his entire life is always, it's like a shadow demon. That's always been behind him. Um, yeah. So apparently she was just showing up in photos and it's why he like kind of had a fear of having his photo taken. Cause he felt like she was getting closer and closer, but I liked this bit of the movie. I liked when she showed up, she's like an expert on like the supernatural tells him like exactly what's happening my favorite is when she sees the demon in the room above him and asks the dude to draw it 
Yeah, and she is explaining Lee it character to him. Yeah, it's like whispering to him like what it looks like. That was fantastic. That was like a really good scene right there. Yeah, Lee Winnell was pretty great. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying. Yeah, that. right. Yeah, you know, fucking Lee Winnell. Yeah, no, he was dope. Yeah, you saw him in the back, right? <laughs> yeah, with his glasses, so cute. No, so, <laughs> <laughs> did you guys have favorite scenes from this movies from these movies? I think my favorite scene was an insidious, uh, the gas mask scene where she's having the seance trying to communicate. Uh, I think it was just the, I think just how out there that scene was. Like she puts this terrifying looking gas mask on, whispering all sorts of strange things. I think that's another thing is speaking in tongues. Cause even though you could kind of vaguely hear what she says, it just sounds like a jumbled nonsense. And I always found that very frightening for whatever reason to hear just jumbled language. Like what are they saying? Um, but yeah, that whole scene was just so, and it really like, I feel brought the energy of the movie up and brought it into sort of, it was like a middle of the movie climax almost, but it was really, oh, I just, that was probably my favorite scene out of both of the movies. I, I, I agree with Justine as well. I would say that as far as from insidious goes, I think the seance scene is definitely one of my favorites. Um, as far as Oculus goes probably the info dump like right when they get to the house that was when i was like all right we're in here mixing it up which is contrary to john's idea because he just can't stand that but (laughs) i don't like it because i feel like it's a weak thing to do when you're script writing instead of actually incorporating it into subtext in the script itself and having them have moments where they're saying it they did it all at once right at the beginning so they never have to do it again and i feel like that was just the equivalent of like someone telling you an important bit right at the beginning of the movie and then they never mention it again like, it has to be something that's sort of recurring. And so that's just me being overly anal- analytical of the script itself. I think it's weak script writing. Uh, you guys are looking at me like you want my opinion on my favorite scene uh, from both of these films. Uh, one being Oculus, the other being Insidious. Uh, so from Oculus, <laughs> I will... Shut up, that nerd. That was a great stall. <laughs> that was a great stall for time. Uh, I will say from Oculus, uh, just the ending scene with the, the brother how it fades to his childhood and like back and forth between reality and his childhood. It really hits home. That's really like one of the only reasons I I, like really enjoy the movie is just how much the mirror fucks with you and that there's no happy resolve from it. The mirror is going to keep doing what it's doing. And then from insidious, I would say the home invasion scene is a good one with the door, but also the one where the guy comes into the house from outside the fucking balcony. Uh, That shit fucked me up. Just like, Hey, there's someone outside that, oh my fucking God, he's in the house. Yeah, he's in the fucking house. <laughs> Terrifying. The guy later pushes him, though. Yeah. Like, she's like, you're stronger than your demons. Killed. <laughs> right, yeah. He was like, fuck you, get away from me, and like throws it into the darkness. I felt like he was a little kid in that moment. Yeah. But yeah, those are my favorite scenes. Actually, anything with Lee Winnell in it. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, you saw that fucking scene, right? Um, From insidious it's actually kind of funny I, I liked all the ones you mentioned so i won't mention them again but one of the funnier scenes is when she walks outside to throw away the trash and the little kid's just dancing in the house to tiptoe through the tulips <laughs> and you're just like what the fuck is happening this went into like horror comedy genre like so quick i was just like what the yeah. fuck like okay this strange dancing child who's just playing hide and seek with her like yeah. he wasn't even doing anything like malevolent yeah. <laughs> i thought this chick looked like fucking natalie portman 
Sorta. But it turns out she's actually in Star Wars as a background character. Yeah, she was also in Bridesmaids. Oh, yeah, that's true. Damn. And then from Oculus, it's kind of hard to pin it down, but like one of the scenes was definitely when she bites into the light bulb and said well okay so the mirror makes her think that she bites into the light bulb and then she has to like rip a piece of glass out of her mouth while she's like bleeding out from her mouth and then he walks in and is like oh hey what's going on she was like oh shit and realizes that she actually bit into the apple it was a good piece of like psychological horror and even some body horror too where it's like you get to see something terrible happen to someone and it's like self-inflicted too which makes it a little worse so that was definitely like some of the main things but did you guys have any other final thoughts Uh, I think they're worth a, a watch. I don't know so much about Insidious now with all the sequels and prequels that came out. You could be the judge of that, but I enjoyed the, them both overall. Some final ratings? I'm going to give Oculus a 7. And I'll give Insidious a 6.9. Actually, let's make it a 7. Lee <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like in this case, I want to go with a star system rather than one through ten. So I want to give them both three stars because I think they are solid efforts at what they are. There could definitely be some further development with both of them, some things to be revised, but I think like they're really solid movies. Hmm. These movies. I complained a lot watching these movies. I complained a lot. Maybe just because this just isn't my week. But I'll give Oculus a solid 7 because it was very creative with how it completely fucked with your mind the whole time. Creating an entire cast of unreliable narrators. And then when it comes to Insidious, other than like good visuals and some good scenes, I'm going to give it a 5. And just leave it at that because really it just it just wasn't as good as it could have been. At least like Oculus took a very original like idea and expanded on it a little bit more. But all in all, I wasn't a huge fan of either of these movies, to be honest. But I'll be on I'll I'll be nice with one of them. <laughs> I give Oculus a six and Insidious a five. For, uh, Insidious, I give a five for weak script writing. I think it could have been filled in with so much better stuff. It had a potential to be really good and then the flop on the end. And then Oculus, I give a little higher rating because it's original. And the short film was actually pretty good. I, I watched the short film separately from it. And they did a really good job making it into a short film. But extending it out into that feature length, he suffered. He couldn't, he couldn't fill in all of the gaps and then used kind of a cop-out with using a flashback. But, like, not even really doing it in the flashback style and then just mixing it in with the narrative. It was too confusing. I mean, I feel like that's that's part of why you got that info dump is because it would be yeah. really hard to input that when you have all these changing scenes. You yeah. already have so much shit going on. You're talking about sensory overload at that point for people. Right, exactly. And so, not the best ones. Nope. I almost want to tell people not to watch them. But, like, but it's uh, worth at least once. They're, like yeah, they're, they're, good, they're good for a one watch. And you might end up loving them. You know, all of this is art. It's all subjective. I feel like it's also sort of like a cultural reference. Not oh, maybe that's a bad word to use, but like I feel like there's a lot of like jokes that come from Insidious and I feel like it'd be good to watch it to know the jokes. Like I can't tell you how many times there's been like Tiny Tim Insidious references and conversations that I've had. So I feel like if you haven't seen them, it's good to watch just so you know what's up. Otherwise, if you already know what's up, you're fine. Cool. 
cool. <laughs> I agree. Gnarly. Gnarly. Radical. What's the rest of that song? We're not singing that. Right <laughs> you knew what I was talking We're about. We're not though. doing that right now. <laughs> All right, then before I let everyone go, I want to remind everybody we're super easy to find on all of the social media sites as well as all the streaming pages. We're pretty much anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. Just go and Google us. Go and look for Bringing Down the Grindhouse or go to the website, which is bdtghpodcast.com, and you can listen to all of our stuff there. Our Patreon is live, and we got a new patron. What was his name, Mitch? Thank you, Eric Sheriff, for uh, for donating to our uh, Patreon. Thank you so much. And thank you to Anthony Ashley, our OG baby boy. Yeah, Anthony. Woo! Woo! Yeah. Please keep giving us money. Please <laughs> give us money. No, so if you are signed up for the $10 level of the Patreon, you actually get to vote on episodes that are coming up, and we're going to be putting that up pretty soon on movies that you're going to have a choice on. In this case, it's going to be the two patrons, so you have a lot to say what's going on in the podcast but if you do also want to vote on things or send us comments or anything we really appreciate it and if you could please leave a review on the apple podcast it gives us better rating and we're more easily seen on the website but thank you so much for coming out to talk about these two films i hope everyone has a good night i'm mitch i'm mer i'm justine and i'm jonathan thank you have a good night hey, what up? <laughs>